once upon a long run time on a podcast far, far away. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I'm your host, Jay Arnold. Welcome to episode 16. Today I speak with my brother Chris about Star Wars gaming. As always, the Veteran Wargamer is brought to you by Kings Hobbies and Games, the premier provider of premium supplies for the discerning hobbyist. This includes science fiction and fantasy products from such publishers as Spartan Games with Halo Fleet Battles and Planetfall, Mantic with Kings of War, North Star Miniatures with Frostgrave, Corvus Belly with Infinity, Warlord Games with Beyond the Gates of Antares, Weird with Malifaux, and many, many more. Drop Tim a line to check on availability of the sci-fi and fantasy products you want. As I've said many, many times before, Tim isn't just my sponsor. He isn't just my go-to guy for games, miniatures, and supplies. He's also my friend. So keep up the good work, Tim. I really appreciate what you're doing for the hobby uh, with special artisan service miniatures as well as all the other product lines you carry. That's kingshobbiesandgames.com, kingshobbiesandgames.com. Uh, look for the Facebook page for special artisan service miniatures in the show notes. After this quick break, my discussion with Chris. And we are back. We're talking with my brother Chris about Star Wars gaming. Broski, how's it going? Doing great. Love working uh, with you on this and... Uh... Ready to talk Star Wars. Okay. Well, it's it, it's no secret. Anybody that's even thought about looking at our personal Facebook feeds or have known us more than about a week know that we are both big Star Wars fans. Now, caveat <laughs> to that. Some people want to say that you can either be a Star Wars or a Star Trek fan, and we are definitely... We definitely have feet in each camp. Definitely, you know, as you were brought up on Star Wars... Uh, because we really didn't see Star Trek much until uh, 1982 when the Wrath of Khan came out and uh, went full bore there. But my first love when it comes to a movie has got to be Star Wars. Absolutely. And, okay, fine. For the purists out there, it's it's space opera. It's not science fiction. Bleh, bleh. Shut up. Don't care. <laughs> Don't care. Yes, yeah. I know. It's it's fantasy. It's it's more akin to fantasy, and stuff like 2001 is closer to science fiction. I get it. Okay, I'm fine with that. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Not um, at all. Now, since this is a gaming, and in particular a wargaming podcast, we are going to be concentrating mostly on those games that are tabletop based and uh, bring the battles of the Star Wars universe to our to our game tables. We're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the other types of games, but I was hoping to get this published on May 4th. If we had kept with our normal publication schedule, that's how it would have been. However, I am going to a leadership course in Minnesota and I'm not sure exactly what my internet capabilities are going to be up there. So I decided we're going to go ahead and publish a week early, a little bit of out, out of sequence, but this means hopefully with some guidance from us, you'll be able to get your gaming situated for May 4th. 
It's our gift to you together on or before May 4th, which, of course, is International Star Wars Day. Exactly, yeah. May the 4th be with you. And Uh, also with you. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Always. Yes. So, if, if you haven't seen the Star Wars movies, go ahead and hit pause on the podcast, at least until after you get these instructions. Go watch the first three movies. Of course, that's Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Go ahead and somewhere in there, now that it's out on DVD, Blu-ray, go ahead and watch Rogue One and Force Awakens. Definitely. And, you know, that'll get you situated for some good, clean Star Wars fun. Um, Now, I am going to throw this in there, and I know there may be a lot of prequel haters out there. Go soak your head if you are. I'm a prequel man. I can live with them. I can live without them. Uh, but definitely uh, Attack of the Clo- not Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith uh, is a great movie for the action sequences. I disagree. You don't, you don't like that? You didn't like the the no. first no the first battle? They're ridiculous. All the battle scenes in the prequels are ridiculous. All even of them. The last, even the last lightsaber duel. Oh, that's extra ridiculous. Okay. Hey. And everybody has their yeah. opinion. I'm firmly in the camp of I can live without them. I've seen <laughs> I've seen each of the quote unquote prequels exactly once, uh, and that's that's how it's going to be. So fair enough. And I, I've uh, the less said about the prequels, the better. But <laughs> suffice to say, they tried to see basically they tried to f- fit as much as they could into the frame. And it suffers for it. Star- I'll agree with that. The movie Star Wars, released in 1977, worked because George Lucas was working under some serious external constraint. And yes. it pushed him creatively in a way that, as a director, he hadn't been pushed before. The other two movies in the original trilogy were not directed by Lucas. And whatever you know whichever movie you think is the best of course it's empire if you say it's anything other than empire you are wrong (laughs) well then i'm wrong (laughs) but uh you know okay I'll, i'll stop the digression here this is not a this is not a this is not a movie podcast this is a gaming podcast but fair enough suffice it to say they oversaturated the frame or frame by frame they oversaturated the picture with Stuff, and Agreed. there is too much stuff in every single frame of the prequels, and it, it's unnecessary. It's it, it's the you know you, you open up the latest the you know, latest Webster's dictionary and look under gratuitous, and you'll see every <laughs> single frame of the of the trilogies. Gr- you know, gratuitous adjective every single frame of the Star Wars. <laughs> episodes one through three so anyway now when we're talking gaming the first star wars game i had any contact with was the atari empire strikes back game you know it's atari 2600 the original the original atari do you recall playing that when on the atari we had i vaguely remember the 
extremely pixelated little uh, walkers coming across the screen. Yeah. Doing your best to blow them up with the extremely pixelated snow speeders. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, it's an Atari 2600 game. They had very limited capabilities, of course, but effectively what you're trying to do is shoot a single pixel, <laughs> a single flashing pixel on the ad ads. And right. I think if you hit it like five times, they it blew up. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. That was the extent of the game. Right. Well, you know, when you have a joystick and a button. Yeah. There's not much more you can do. No. No, <laughs> up, not down, much. Back, forth, boom, boom, you know, shoot, shoot, shoot. Yeah. And and really, actually, I, I'm skipping over some stuff because really what we should be talking about is is playing with the original three and a half inch figures and the twelve inch figures. We had some of the twelve yes. inch figures also. Mm-hmm. Um I think somehow we ended up with four figures if I'm not mistaken. We had between the two of us we had Han Solo. Yes. Princess Leia. Okay. A stormtrooper and uh-huh. Darth Vader. Uh we also had Chewie. We had Chewbacca. Yeah, okay. Yes. So five so had, figures. Yeah. And uh and of course, you know, we could, you know, sit and reminisce about which three and a half figures we had and which, you know, which fighters and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And we were lucky because our dad got into it also. Oh, yeah. He he took us to, to see Star Wars. I remember the first time I saw Star Wars is at a drive-in theater. And he got into it also, which which helped tremendously with, <laughs> with getting the toys. Oh, absolutely. Because I think, heck, we might have had everything from the first movie's release. I believe we did. It's it's within the realm of possibility. Now, granted, you know, full disclosure, I was born in 74, the movie came out in 77. You know, by the time Empire came out, uh, you know, I was still only six years old, so my memory's kind of hazy, but I, I'm having a hard time thinking of something off the top of my head that we didn't have from the original Star Wars movie release. Did they ever have a uh, Jawa Sandcrawler playset? There was the... there did, we didn't. Yeah. (laughs) I did have... I did have the Droid Factory, though. Yes, which was pretty cool. Which was pretty cool. I did have the Droid Factory, um, but... Again, we're we're digressing somewhat, but that's okay. Yeah, we we played with Star Wars figures more than we did with Army Men or later Airfix or Italieri, uh, AMT, Ertl, yeah. you know what have you figures. So, uh, you know when when guys come on the show and talk about you know playing with Airfix figures, well, we didn't do that. We played with we played with Star Wars figures. We didn't quite have any rules or anything like that. We were still a bit young for that. Right. But uh, you know, going pew pew pew, I got your guy. You know that that counts for sure. Oh yeah, and you know, running around the house, you know, you with the Tie Fighter, me with the X Wing. Yeah, absolutely. So now, as I mentioned in my episode one of the Veteran Wargamer podcast, I did get the D six Star Wars RPG from West End Games. I didn't do much with it. It seemed a bit odd to me because I never really got into role playing all that much. One of the, I guess, one of the cool things about it is for the, for the published scenario. I'm even using wargaming terms. Scenarios, uh, campaigns, adventure packs, whatever you're gonna call them, they had scripted elements to them. Mm-hmm. And 
you were encouraged as a game master to share these scripted elements with the players and have them read through the script and those were triggers for different events within the within the adventure um, now interesting side note a lot of the what has since been re- rescinded or retconned or whatever you want to call it a lot of the canon for the I shouldn't say canon a lot of the background for the expanded universe was first codified in the Star Wars RPG from West End Games yes we gamers can hold our heads high knowing that for you know there's a large large body of work in the expanded universe that came from you know what we do as tabletop gamers right oh. and 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 for those that uh uh bemoan the loss of of what is now considered legends uh, by Walt Disney uh or the Disney companies Lucasfilms is doing a good job of dipping in to legends and bringing back fan favorites. Mm-hmm. So we thought we lost Thrawn, but he's back. And in my opinion, an even cooler character now than he was in legends. Uh, what they're not doing is allowing the goofy stuff like Chewbacca getting killed by a moon hitting a planet that he's standing on to hang around. Spoilers, man. Spoilers. <laughs> that book is 30 years old. Oh, I don't okay. <laughs> well, is, is, that a Zon, is that in a Zahn novel or is that something else? No, that was something else, but it was considered, quote-unquote, within the realm of the universe... Star Wars before Disney stole Star Wars from Lucas. What do you mean stole? What do you mean stole? 4.4 billion is pocket change for Disney for the cash they're raking in now. Did was any did anybody hold a gun to Lucas's head? Oh no, not at all. So don't say stole. And he's still making money off of it. Yeah. He's he's doing fine, I assure you. No, I mean, again, we're we're digressing a little bit, but you know, it's I mean, there's plenty of story there to set your games in. Oh, absolutely. Um, if you wanted to dip into Legends, Expanded Universe, whatever you want to call it these days. Now, a series of games, you know, I'm going to we're going to be jumping around a little bit, so bear with us. A series of games that really really was immersive and brought you into the universe were the X-Wing and Tie Fighter computer games. Yes. And I I can't tell you how many hours I spent playing TIE Fighter. Um, just flying around, oh, this is so cool, and then, you know, taking, taking one hit from an X-Wing. Right. <laughs> and the, that animation of just TIE Fighter parts. <laughs> <laughs> Glitter. Yeah. And, you know, or even worse, hey, we're going to do an attack run on, on that Nebulon B, and then... Oh, they've got a lot of turbo lasers. <laughs> dodge, dodge, dodge. Yeah. Spiff. Yeah. Yeah, that's redirect <laughs> redirect shields. We don't have shields. Ugh. Oh. Why can't I be in a TIE fighter or an X Wing? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those those are fun games. I mean yeah. they um I wanna say they're out there. You know, use a DOS simulator and Mm-hmm. And go to town with that, and it's the the gameplay. I'm sure still holds up. I mean, they're not oh, yeah. they're not a space flight simulator, but then again, 
let's face it, fighters in space is kind of a goofy concept anyway. Exactly, yeah. And to be honest, it's, I mean, if you want to equate it, it's actually World War II because Lucas literally took film, combat film from World War II, gave it to his uh, model makers and, 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 uh, you know, designers and said, I want you to make the dogfights look like this. Right. Frame for frame. Right. So, well, I mean, it, World War II in space. Yeah. Eh, whatever. It's fantasy. Deal with it. Yeah. Well, it was a mix of mix of actual combat footage and movies from the era and shortly yeah. after. But, yeah, I mean, the, the point stands. So, yeah, moving forward a little bit, getting back to getting back to tabletop shortly after those those games so jumping around again i i gotta jump back to the west end games they also had a star wars miniatures battles game and Mm -hmm. i don't want to say extensive but they had a pretty fair line of miniatures to go with it you know they had your basic troops you had your you know your stormtroopers your scout troopers snow troopers and whatnot and then rebels of various stripes and you know your your named characters from the films, and then various other uh, figures. And I, I don't. If I ever looked at the rules, it was only you know real cursory glance, so I can't comment on them. It, it'd be worth taking a look at what it, what board game geek, what board game geek has to say about them. So um, that is out there. Uh, right. And but the figures themselves were actually pretty well done. They were uh, pretty much true twenty-five millimeter. You know, at at you know, for those of you who need a little bit of context, about the same time as when GW was in full bore with third edition Warhammer Fantasy Battle. They were going full bore with Warhammer Forty Thousand Rogue Trader. They were you know pushing figure sizes at that point even and. You know their figures were quite a bit beefier than the Ralpartha and uh, Raffam figures. It, those were the two big guys on the market at the time. You know, quite a bit bigger. They were chunkier. They were taller. They were you know considered 28 millimeter. So to see these figures in comparison to what else was on the market at the time, it was they were they were quite a bit smaller. They were a little bit more realistically proportioned as well, and. They weren't ever sold in blister packs, to my knowledge. Well, I guess a couple of character figures here and there. They were more for the RPG, I guess. But for the most right. part, they were sold in a in little cardboard boxes. They might have actually been made by Grenadier. I'll have to check into that. Um, made by Grenadier for West End Games. Because Grenadier was using the same boxes, the same size boxes and everything at the same time. So, that's out there. I'm... I'm got to think that there's some collector value to them at this point of course they're on ebay everything's on ebay but they are out there if you're if you're so inclined if we're looking at a timeline which is pretty useless at this point because we've been jumping around (laughs) so much there's the d20 rpg right and that that's one that i have played uh quite a bit uh with my role-playing group down in austin and it's it went through a couple of different iterations with TSR slash Wizards of the Coast, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it it was a it was a fun game, but it was basically 
Dungeons and Dragons with a Star Wars veneer slapped on top of it. Well, I mean, that's the whole point of the D20 system, though. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so much there was so much put out with the you know the open source D20 license mm-hmm. that you know they did just about it. They did almost as much stuff with D20 as Steve Jackson has done with GURPS. Right. Right. So, uh, and it was it was a good time. Um, I think uh, I honestly don't know why they let go of the license but they actively came out and said we are no longer going to hold the Star Wars license for role playing games and that was like within oh, I want to say a year to 18 months after they came out with what they considered the saga edition or the square book edition and it was like really weird how it just great guns are putting out plastic miniatures uh, to be able to do all of this gaming with and then boom we're done and I, I don't know if it was because Lucasfilms uh, was asking just an exorbitant amount of money for uh, licensing or or what but it was, it was really quite uh, odd mm-hmm. but uh, but you know it was it was fun now they did a they did clicky games also not just for individual figures infantry based games however you want to call it but also a capital ship game and I know I never got into the to those Star Wars or to that version of Star Wars fleet battles or whatever it was called mm-hmm. but I think there was quite a bit of grumbling because the ships did not even come close to scaling with one another Oh no, not at all. Uh, and there was quite a bit of grumbling and kind of a uh, a flash forward. I think that's what Fantasy Flight Games has done so well with X-wing. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But True. I mean, I mean, I mean, even to the point where the the fighters and whatnot were comparably sized to capital ships. Right, they, fighters. They, well, fighters and smaller craft like the Millennium Falcon or Slave One and whatnot. Right, they were they were distinctly box scale. Yeah, well, it was also collectible, quote unquote, right? Uh, to an extent, yeah. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a blind pack, um, because you knew to an extent what type of ship you were getting into. Yeah, well, you knew you knew from the size of the boxes you were going to get X right. number of capital ships and X number of smaller craft. Right, right. But they all kind of fell within that same range of an inch to two and a half inches in length, no yeah. matter what the ship was. Yeah, and that I, I think that turned a lot of people off to it. It did. So, I think this is a good time to just take a step back and realize how lucky we are in in the current environment that Fantasy Flight Games by hook or by crook, however it happened, they picked up the license for Star Wars tabletop gaming. And, and RPG gaming as well. Well, table, RPGs are tabletop. Well, yeah. Alright. Edit, edit points so you don't have to look like an idiot. There you go. I don't I don't think it can be overstated how lucky we are that Fantasy Flight Games picked up the license for Star Wars tabletop gaming. 
So yeah. cards, RPGs, anything with miniatures, board games, etc. So yeah, it's they're they they've done an amazing job, and whatever they did to get that license, they are reaping the benefits. Oh uh, well, we're reaping the benefits. They're reaping our cash, but they're <laughs> there. You go. We're reaping the benefits now. I'm not. I don't want to bore anybody with the precise timeline, frankly, because I didn't do any research for this. But um, yeah, they've got. I think one of the first things they did is they had. I think they did the living card game about the same time as the RPG. Mm-hmm. And they're using special dice, which I think, if it's not the first Fantasy Flight game with special dice in it with extensive use of special dice it's among the first yes um, I know the Doom board game and we're going to be talking about Doom the board game here in a second uh, use special dice uh, exclusively but yeah the 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 Star Wars RPG from Fantasy Flight does use special dice and it uses some I don't want to say the, the dice pull mechanics are weird because they're not really anymore, but you know the combination of symbols that you roll have different effects and whatnot. Right. Uh, I have not played it, so I'm just going off of my observations in second hand. Yeah, it's uh, I, I've actually run a game using uh, the Fantasy Flight uh, RPG system, and it is very storyteller driven. Um, it's it's designed to not necessarily be all about the stats and more about a a story being told mm-hmm. and the the dice just enables you to adjudicate combat or uh, adjudicate certain actions that uh, the players are doing with their characters mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's actually a, a rather unique system that I had never uh, worked with before, but once you figured it out, it became very natural. Yeah. Uh, and again, just the guys at Fancy Flight and gals, for that matter, did a wonderful job, and they are now four different books, what they call core rule sets. Uh, that are completely interchangeable, but you can pick up any one of them and say, I'm going to play Star Wars uh, role-playing, and that one of those four core books gives you everything you need to play in that particular uh, time period, whether it's uh, Star Wars, Empire, Jedi, or now Force Awakens. Yeah. I mean, they're they're smart cookies at Fantasy Flight. They know what they're doing. I mean, as far as I know, they're basically the biggest U.S.-based game company at this. Not counting Hasbro, right? Um, and it's they're and they're, well, they're not even independent now because a French company called Asmodee bought them. But um, still, they're the largest. You know, again, aside from Hasbro and their holdings, you know, because let's face it. If you're in the United States, or actually for most of the world, if you're rolling dice or you or playing a card, it's probably with a Hasbro product. Right. You know, just straight up. And I'm not even talking, you know, hobby games like we play. I'm just talking, you know... Monopoly. 
you know, no, not even just Monopoly, but yeah. you know, they own Hoyle, they own Oh yeah. Parker Brothers, they own Wizards of the Coast. They, it's it's pretty ridiculous. But anyway, but, you know, Kenner. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to Star Wars action figures. Well, I'm not, well, I don't, I don't even know if I don't think Kenner even exists as a brand anymore. Maybe not. But uh anyhow, the uh the main thing the main thing is that it's they know what they're doing and they're so successful because they they do know what they're doing. I'm not for the most part I'm not a huge fan of Fantasy Flight games. I think they're a little token happy. I think they like to have so many I think that they are overly enamored with different with with tracking different statuses in games so that you've got this marker represents this and you're tracking this on this track and there's this other status indicator and I, I think it gets to be a bit much but that being said you know the the, the miniatures based tabletop games that they've produced X-Wing and Armada and also Imperial Assault are they're solid games oh yeah uh, absolutely with and of course anything that Fantasy Flight produces is going to have impeccable uh, production values with, with that in mind, I think that the next step they took was release of X-Wing miniatures game. Yeah, and that thing literally blew up and and flew off the shelf. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's kind of a perfect storm in that it's the type it's it's a game that you can immediately open and begin playing. Uh, doesn't require any painting. Uh, because all the miniatures are are already painted when you buy them, uh, it's got simple but deep play, mm-hmm. Sim- simple rules but deep gameplay. Uh, the different modifiers that you can apply to your fighters with the different equipment and different pilots and special this and special that. I mean, if you're the type of guy that likes to sit and come up with combinations of cars and to to get different synergistic effects, this is this is a game for you and this is something this is something I've seen in the wider hobby also with uh, War Machine and Hordes uh, now with uh, also with 40k is going that way and well it, it pretty much started with Magic the Gathering but you know there's there's a certain aspect of those who partake in this hobby that enjoy that aspect of the hobby and that's cool now when I'm playing X-wing. I don't care about that stuff. I just want to, you know, I just want to fly a little, a little X-wing or a little Tie Fighter around and make pew 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 noises and zoom noises. Right. But, you know, our, you know, we've got friends who do enjoy that aspect. You know, of coming up with different combinations, and in both X-wing and Armada allow you to do that pretty, pretty effectively. Yeah, and absolutely. again, and again, Fantasy Flight knows what they're doing. I mean, they release certain upgrade cards in certain ship packs or expansions that are going to work with. You know, they'll work with you know just about any other ship, for example. But they they come out with with cards that are going to work particularly well with that ship. You know, a prime example of that is the Imperial Raider. And one of the cards that came with it is called uh, Ordnance Specialists. And what I, if I recall correctly, it allows you to double the black dice you roll. And 
if if you're familiar with with Armada or if you're not familiar with Armada, you're different again going back to fantasy flight liking special dice. All your all your attacks are resolved with colored dice, uh, red, blue, and black. Black is the closest range, and then this ship or this card allows any ship that normally rolls black dice to double those dice. And so, particular ship we're talking about, I think throws like four. It's either three or four black dice on the uh, front and side arc. So you're doubling that. Just you know. And it makes sense that they would put that card in with, you know, with that ship. Just just right. as an example. And there, yeah. there are plenty of others. But, um, yeah, X-Wing, you know, if you're not familiar with X-Wing already, uh, it, it's actually, they licensed the, the mechanisms, uh, the rule mechanisms from a company called Ares because they're, they started life as... Uh, Wings of War, Wings of Glory, whichever, you know, whichever version you want to go with, and uh, and I'm not sure they really needed to do that, but I think that they were just being kind, for lack of a better term, sure. because they they took the basic mechanism where you you put down in Wings of Glory you put down three cards for your maneuvers, well they took it a step and then. In turn, you flip over one card, you do a maneuver, you do the next maneuver, then you do the third maneuver. And in between those maneuvers, you figure out if you're going to be able to shoot at an opponent or not. And what Fancy Flight did with X-Wing is they still have, you know, you still have predetermined, or pre-selected, I should say, maneuvers that you perform, but they replaced the cards with maneuver templates. So you get a greater scope, you get a greater movement on the tabletop. And it it really works a lot better. Again, in Wings of War, Wings of Glory, the original, whenever you shot at an opponent, you just flipped a, you know, they have a damage deck, and you just flipped a card, and and you saw how much, how much damage was, was dealt. Now with x-wing you roll dice as the attacker you roll attack dice now if you're being shot at you uh, roll agility dice and you compare symbols and again they're special dice they're custom dice for this game you compare symbols and determine whether or not uh, the attacker hit the defending craft and if so if there's a any additional damage that sort of thing so there's there's definitely something there because I think people like to roll dice in a they just like to roll dice in a war game. Right. And I think one of the things that as much as I enjoy Wings of War, Wings of Glory, one thing it's missing is just simply rolling dice. Yeah. Definitely. And uh they've they again they like I said, they know what they're doing. <laughs> they figured it out. Yeah. And I think another thing that that really drew people to it other Besides just you know star slapping Star Wars on the box, that was going to drive you know initial sales anyway. Yeah. But what really drove it home, and what has continued to let them go back to the well over and over again, is a all of the fighters and what they consider mid-sized ships, uh, being the Millennium Falcon, the. Uh, uh, 
the slave one, etc. All of those are to scale to one another based on the original Lucasfilms models used for Star Wars, Empire, and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And when people found out about that, they lost their minds. And they're they're extremely well done. I don't know I don't know what they're paying the child laborers to paint those <laughs> miniatures. I, to be fair, I I gotta think it's all pad printed with uh you know with you know some some form of mechanization to you know to sure. be perfectly honest. But they'd have to 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 yeah. produce the numbers that oh, they're yeah. producing. Oh yeah. Oh, it's kachunk, 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 kachunk. Exactly, and it's the same. It's basically the same printing process that goes, you know, that that prints the eyes and the little mouth on a on a Lego figure. Exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's that's got to be the way they're doing it. You know, those those cannot be hand painted. If there's any hand painting on it, it's the wash that's used to to pick out the the panel lines and whatnot. Right. Because the models are nice. I mean, and here's the thing. It, it's a fully painted miniature, ready assembled. All you gotta do is put the base on it, and they retail at fifteen bucks. Yeah, I, you can't or, beat it. Or just under fifteen bucks anyway. Right. And, um, and when you compound that with the basic starter set, now they've got you know a basically a, a New Hope, you know, a Star Wars box that that has uh, two Tie Fighters and an X Wing. And then they've got a Force Awakens box that has the new style TIE Fighter and new style X-Wings. Right. And, you know, most places you can get it, I think it officially retails like 35 for the starter, I think, isn't it? 39.95. Okay, 40 bucks still. Yeah. But most places you can get it for 30. I've seen it at Target for 30. Yeah. So, and, and you can pair that against buying two ships separately. You know, those are fifteen apiece. You're basically getting a, all the rules, all the templates, all the chits, plus a free ship. Yeah. So and, and and all you gotta do is literally open the box, put the put the ships on stands, punch out your your chits out of the the super thick cardboard. Yeah. Or pasteboard or whatever you want to call it, and you're playing the game. Yeah. I mean, I. I and it it goes to the fact that Fancy Flights, where their bread and butter still is to this day, is board games. Oh yeah. That's well, that's what they want you to be able to do is open yeah. a box and play the game. Yeah, they're well they've they've come out with a miniatures battle game like a legitimate miniatures battle game called uh, Rune Wars, and I yes. I'd like to get my hands on that and maybe talk about that later because there, there's definitely there's definitely discussion to be had about where where the line between board games and miniatures games lies and if right. and if we even need to make that distinction anymore. But but uh, I digress. Now that's another topic. That's another topic. <laughs> um, now I, I think X Wing proved to them that the business model would work, and they took it and brought forth Armada, which is a capital ship game and ran with it as well. Yes. And uh, and Armada is exactly what it sounds like. It's a capital ship game. You still have the fighters. You still have this, the medium-sized craft. 
such as Slave One and uh, The Hound's Tooth and Millennium Falcon and all those at a granted at a smaller scale and they're very similar the the core mechanisms are very similar but there's a lot more chrome on Armada there are, there are yes. a lot more wrinkles that have been, been introduced you can have different types of orders given uh, you know there's a separate fighter phase and that sort of thing um, I think on the balance um, between the two because of the games that we're going to talk that we've talked about today these are the two that I've played the most um, and I've played a lot more X-Wing than I have Armada granted but you know on the balance um, I think that X-Wing gives a better gameplay experience and the primary reason for that and this is this is my own this is this is my own prejudice coming out for a capital ship game I want longer distances for gunnery and I agree. I agree. <laughs> that's just how absolutely that's just how it is I want longer distance for capital ship games and it goes back to what you know I'm crossing the streams here, Ray. Um, you know, it goes back to Star Trek when they're saying, you know, you know, enemy ship at 250,000 kilometers, Captain. Fire! You know, that that's supposed to be a long distance. Yeah, now, exactly. Now, granted, due to, you know, the story effect of, hey, I want to see the, the enemy ship blown up, they, they, you know, film them and edit them in such a way as that they would appear closer than they really would be and yes I get it it's it's only a model but it's just a model yeah they make it look a lot closer than sure than, they make it look closer than what they're saying it is right and and I get that but one of the things that annoyed me about the space battles in the prequel movies for Star Wars is how stupidly close the ships were oh yeah it's it, this isn't uh, uh, this isn't you know on the high seas between the uh, British fleet and the Spanish main. You know it's <laughs> yeah yeah this isn't the Spanish Armada yeah yeah it's 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 ridiculous and again it goes to you know every frame so dense yeah okay um, you're dense yeah I I think they did it right in. Return of the Jedi. You know when they when they get into engagement distance, yeah, the Death Star is pretty damn big in their windscreens, but mm -hmm. the Death Star is pretty damn big. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's that's no moon. Well, it, it kind of is. <laughs> well, I mean, if again, it's you know, I I'm not one to get into. Well, in this book, they said that it's the circumference is 588 kilometers and in the other book they said it was 612 I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be that guy but you know they they do say that the the second uh the second Death Star is bigger than the first one definitely yeah so, it's definitely bigger but anyhow um yeah it, it looked better you know and it it was definitely a lot there's plenty of drama with the fighters getting in close you know Right, you know, knife fighting distance against the, you know, against the capital ships, you know, skimming the surface and whatnot, you know, just simply to, you know, the, 
the adage that the Vietnamese had, you know, hold on to their belt buckles so that the, you know, American artillery couldn't take them out. Right. And, it's, and it's the same thing with these fighters getting that close to the capital ships, you know. We'll never survive against that Star Destroyer, you know. <laughs> right. We'll last longer than we'll against that Death Star. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, and also, you know, in Jedi, the... In, in the plot, it says, aren't we going to engage? No, no. Uh, Vader said, uh, we're just supposed to keep them from escaping. Right. Okay, I get that. Um, but still, even when they were uh, combating uh, ship to ship, they're, they're, they were taking shots at a much longer range. Yeah, and, and, it, and it looks like it in the, in the movie. But yeah. I digress. So yeah, if... If there are, and here's the problem though, and this is something we discovered when we were messing around with the Star Trek Tactical Combat Simulator. When you start messing around with distances in a game, you've got to mess around with all the distances. Yeah. Because if you recall, there was one time when we, I don't know if we tried converting them to inches and then doubled everything or even tripled everything. Yeah. With gunnery, but we didn't with movement. Exactly. Yeah, I, I yeah. remember that. So, if you were gonna do that with Armada, you would then have to double the the crazy articulated uh, movement template that they have, right? Or tool, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so, it could be done, but I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that it would bear fruit. Yeah. If anything, though, if anything, I would use smaller ship models. Right. Don't right. get me wrong. The Armada ships are gorgeous. They oh, look man. great. But they're almost too big for the mo- for the table size that most people are going to play on. Yeah. In my they, opinion. They, they, are, they are too big um, in, on a 4x6 or possibly 4x8 table. Yeah. Uh, and t- considering that the game is supposed to be played on a 3x3. Three three, yeah. I, I um, don't know about that. I, yeah. I think that... I don't know. I don't know how exactly I feel about it. I think... Because the ships do look so good, I think that maybe in their thought process was if we make the ships closer in size to those in X-Wing there'll be complaints about that yeah yeah. I wonder if that might have gone into their decision making process on that because the ships are almost well not almost the ships are too big for the table that they're asking people to play on in yeah. my opinion you know it's, it's like with the well it's like with the Battle of Britain game that I've developed using the X-Wing rules you know, mm-hmm. I consciously made the decision to go with one six hundred scale aircraft from Pico Armor. Yes, and it wasn't just a cost factor because I was going to have so damn many of them, but it was also, you know, the smaller models. You know, when you're going the same distance with a smaller model, it looks like it's going faster. Oh yeah, yeah. And absolutely. it's it's a matter of force perspective. Granted, because I'm still using the same size. I'm using the same size bases. I'm using the same size turn templates or maneuver templates, but those little one six hundred fighters look like they look like they're going so much further than the X wing miniatures. And oh, I think yeah. the X wing miniatures are nominally, I think they're 
nominally like one one forty fourth or something like that. Uh, one two seventieth. Oh, one two seventieth. Excuse me. Okay. Yes. So half again smaller, and then some a little bit. So yeah, you know, it, it, part of the problem that you have with Armada is that the the other side to that coin is yes the capital ships are too big for the table you're playing on but the distances are too short because they've got to fit everything inside of the box yeah well well it, what do you mean they got to fit everything inside the box so your your template you're using to measure your ranges oh, for yeah. guns can only be so big because the box is only going to be so big. Well, they could have articulated it. They could have. They could have articulated um, it. They could have uh, made it multi-piece. You know, they could yeah. have made it plastic and multi-piece to snap together. I mean, there, there's plenty of other solutions they could have come up with. Agreed. Agreed. But you know, but... you know, it, it is it is a hell of a lot easier just to have a single a single piece of cardboard that mm-hmm. you know is as long as one of the sides of the boxes or even diagonal. But right. even the di- even that diagonal is not going to give you much more. Yeah. So I I love playing it. Um, it it's I like the game, but I don't love the game. I love the miniatures. I like the game. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. And honestly, I wouldn't mind throwing these down onto uh, the table using full thrust. I was going to say the exact same thing, but. <laughs> But what I would do with these ships is play on the floor and make your measurement units a foot. Yep. I'm good with that. Or even six inches. Yeah. You know, because then... And this is the type of thing that you could do at recruits up on the mezzanine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do it up on the mezzanine. Get some... You know, make your bases out of uh, three-quarter inch plywood so they're nice and heavy. Mm -hmm. Make your flying stands out of... Oh, three eighths or half inch dowels. Yeah, yeah, that'd look cool. Yeah, it would. That'd look real cool. Paint them black. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, there's there's some potential there. I mean, you've you've got some effort in that, but that's not a huge yeah. deal. And full yeah. thrust is pretty robust. Oh yeah. Um, I need you to do a show on full thrust and star grunt and dirt side sometime. Yep. At some point, full thrust especially because the the full thrust community is quite vibrant no very but uh anyhow um yeah there's there's potential there because the ships are the ships are damn nice oh man and you know the the pricing isn't that bad for for the capital ships either i mean no for what you get it's you i i honestly think that for the money the x-wing and armada stuff is almost the best deal in gaming right now Real close, real, real close. close. If it's if it's not, if there's something that's a better value out there, I'm not immediately aware of it. No, and I, and I'm yeah. talking at I'm talking at manufacturers manufacturers suggested retail price. Right. Um, yeah, because Armada retail ninety nine ninety five, you get a. It's a heavy damn box. It, oh man, it. It's it. I don't think it's two point two kilos or whatever it was. Your uh, Rogue Trader book came in as no. That that box is more than two point two kilos. I can I can guarantee you that. Yeah, Um, it's but you get a Victory class Star Destroyer, which is uh, the expansion pack is forty bucks. 
you get a uh, fistful of uh, fighter squadrons. Uh, the, those expansions are 20 bucks a piece um, for each side. And then you get a Carillion Corvette and a Nebulon B frigate. And those are going for uh, looks like 20 bucks a piece. Yeah, so you're over so, 120 right there. Yeah, and that's not counting the the dice, the little doohickey uh, um, measuring yeah, uh, the maneuver gauge and yeah. thing, um, which you can buy individually as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, a set of dices, uh, you actually have $20 worth of dice in there and another eight bucks for the maneuver tools. Yeah. So, I mean... It would not surprise me in the least to find out that Fantasy Flight has taken the basic box set for both X-Wing and Armada as a as a loss leader. Oh, absolutely. I, I would, if, if, I would not a, if not a loss leader, then a negligible profit. Yeah. yeah I, I, I don't see them making a truckload of money. And, and with the box set... Now... now, now if, if you're not if you're not familiar with how the games industry works, essentially, what you what the manufacturer suggested retail price, it's basically four times what it's sold to distributors at for the most part. I mean, they're you know if if you're buying this box set at at a hundred, the retailer where you're buying it from bought it for fifty, and the distributor that your retailer bought it from bought it for 25. So Fantasy Flight sold or sells that to distributors for 25 bucks a box. You know, they they got to have at least 15 or 20 in that box. Oh, yeah. I got to think even with economies of scale. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're they're not making a lot of money on that. Yeah. And you know, people might be saying, "Well, then, you know, if it's such a great deal, why don't you just when you want to more victory class star destroyers and nebulon bees and acrylic corvettes why don't you just buy, buy more boxes well what fantasy flight has done is said okay you're gonna get cards for each of these ships yeah but in the expansion packs you get special cards you get different yeah. cards yeah so um and, and again the, they're no dummies yeah they're not dummies by any means and they've and they've set up a pretty pretty robust tournament scene also yes they have and here's the deal you know friendly games between you and me we can proxy cards all day but if you want to play in a tournament no 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 you yeah. have to have an original printed card from fantasy flight right so yeah i mean yeah they're not they're not dumb <laughs> you know they're not dumb I, at all i they're in my opinion they're printing money yeah i wouldn't go that far but there's a lot of damn work in that. There's <laughs> there a lot is. of damn work in there is. in making there is. those box sets. Oh, and yeah. it's, you know, rules development's only a fraction of it. You know, the the graphic design of the booklets oh, yeah. and the tokens and designing the models and having them you know, I'm I'm sure they're rapid prototyped and, you know, 3D sculpted and all that, but yeah, it's you know, it's not cheap. You know, all the no, all the work that they're all. putting into it. Plus, I gotta pay people to live in Minnesota for crying out loud. <laughs> hey, I only want to do that during the summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they take seasonal help there at uh, 
it was a Rosemont, Minnesota, yeah. it's in the Twin yeah. Cities, where their actual facility is. But, but yeah, it's yeah they're not dumb. They're making great products, and there there are two other main tabletop games aside from their living card game in the RPG. And we're not I'm not going to talk about the living card game because I'm not a card game guy. So right. I I know. All I know about the game is that it's being made and there are photographs on the cards. That's that's as far as it goes. And there's cards. There are cards, yes. It's a card game that contains cards. There's there's your in-depth analysis. But and it uh, says Star Wars. And it says Star Wars somewhere on the card. There there may be a Grand Moff Tarkin. But uh anyhow, um now they've also got Imperial Assault, which is for lack of a better term, a dungeon crawl in Star Wars. Yes. And I've, I've played it exactly once. And, it's, and I had fun. It's a good game. Uh, if you rewind your your podcast machine back to about 40 minutes ago, I mentioned the Doom board game. The Doom board game rules were used to make Fantasy Flight's dungeon crawl descent and those improvements over Doom have made their way into Imperial Assault. So that that's the lineage, and now they're redoing Doom also. So that's the lineage there, you know, with the special dice and, and all that. It's yeah. got a pretty neat combat resolution mechanic where for ranged combat, you roll whatever color dice you need, and the number the number of bullets indicates the number of hits you get, but you also have to have the numbers come up on the dice to meet or exceed the number of squares your character is from the target character. Oh. And, you know, the more more effective or longer-ranged weapons you have, you, you know, the, the dice are weighted to... You know, the results on the dice are weighted to different distributions of numbers to make that make that happen. Right, and it's it's a pretty neat system. Um, apparently, the the game's got two play versions: basically a scenario driven version, and then uh, I think they call it skirmish, where you basically just pick your own forces and then fight the opponent. Uh, very board game, you know. It's got pre printed pre printed train tiles. I want to say they're, if I recall correctly, they're like twelve squares by twelve squares. Yeah, and so they've they've got the terrain printed on them, and you know you can go through you know you can go through certain squares, but not others. You know that's your blocking terrain and whatnot. It's pretty fun. Uh, not yeah. anything I'd want to invest heavily in. Uh, our friend Ray has invested heavily in it, and I think he's got sure. a, I think he's got a regular group that plays it uh, plays with him uh, over in Springfield. Yeah. I need to get in on that because uh, you've played it exactly one more time than I have. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a good game. I like yeah. it. Um, again, it's I, not I'm, something I want to invest heavily in. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the uh, expansion packs and, you know, each individual character, um, like Han Solo, is nine ninety five. Um, the... Uh, and then you've got like R2D2 and C3PO pack. It's twelve ninety five, so you're getting two characters there. Uh, and then 
the Rebel Trooper Ally. It's fifteen bucks. I'm wondering if there's three. Yeah, the the three or four dudes in there. The the packs that have unnamed scrubs in them, or I think they're three figures to a pack. Yeah. So. so but you know, I mean, I mean, that's that's like GW prices. That's Games Workshop prices, it, anyway. It, actually, it's less. Maybe a little less. Yeah. Um, because they're they, not they're not customizable like GW figures. I mean, they're they're cast in one piece. And you know, that's and, I'm fine with that. And some right. of them might be two pieces. You know, it's not the type of thing where if you wanted to do, you know, if you wanted to use those figures for a miniatures game, you're gonna get bored with the poses pretty quick. Exactly. Yeah. Um. You know. I think a great game would be getting a, you know, a, a shed load of snow troopers and hoth rebels and oh, yeah. and doing a you know doing a fight in the you know inside echo base i think that'd be a great game oh, that'd be cool to do it Absolutely. right or even you know the tantive you know doing the tantive 4 how great of a game would oh, that be man. you know the shipboarding action cool. of the tantive 4 yeah but um yeah you're you're gonna get bored pretty quickly with you know two or three poses of a yeah, rebel and- trooper and, and I think that number is okay when you're doing something like a. In my mind, I'm I'm thinking of building up a 3D, you know, floor plan of the Tantive Four, and having three or four poses, you can get away with it because yeah, you're going to have you you're going to have what maybe maybe a dozen maybe 18 figures. Yeah, so it, w- it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah, so I mean that that'd be cool. Compare that fifteen bucks against oh I don't know buying a DVD. You know that's once a DVD comes out or Blu-ray, yeah, within a couple months they're going to be down around fifteen bucks. You're gonna you might watch it a couple times, a couple three times. If you're obsessive about it, you're going to watch it more than that. But you're going to get so much enjoyment out of those three figures that you're playing in the game. You know you're going to get three hours right out of the gate just by painting it. Right. So. Whenever someone complains about the cost of our hobby, just compare that against the amount of time you're spending with it. You know, yeah, we spend a lot of money on our hobby, but how much enjoyment do we get, and how, you know, what's the longevity of that? Of that. But we've digressed enough. Uh, there's one more system we need to talk about. One more game that Fantasy Flight's come out with uh, that is Star Wars related. It's called Rebellion, and it's exactly exactly what it sounds like. It's the it's the galaxy spanning rebellion. Uh, a number of players are the rebels, and a number of players are the empire. And my understanding is, to win, the rebels just have to avoid getting caught. They don't have to pull off any grand scheme. They just need to avoid getting caught. Again, this is not a game I've played. I've only heard about it. But what's intriguing to me is the possibility of someone who's really industrious and has some vision tying Rebellion in with Imperial Assault and Armada and X-Wing to make an overarching campaign out of it. That would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've kicked around the idea of tying Armada, X-Wing, and Imperial Assault together as kind of like a weekend campaign thing. Right. You've got a table set up where you're doing Armada and Maybe there's a dogfight going on on the Armada table with some named pilots. So he decided, let's go ahead and play this out in X-Wing. So we expand that out into an X-Wing game. And maybe, you know, part of the scenario involves, you know, well, taking down a shield generator, for example, on a, 
on a certain forested moon. So to play out the the shield generator caper, we plug that into Imperial Assault. And something, you know, the shield generator has to go down before the fighters can get into the Death Star. And then once that happens, then you then you play out the fighters going into the Death Star. Just just as an example. I think yeah. I think there's potential there. But if you're going to do a long term campaign, you know, it it might be worth someone sitting down and figuring out how to do that with rebellion as the campaign map, for lack of a better term. Right. Yeah. Um. That, that would be pretty cool. Uh, I mean, my understanding is there is an Armada campaign mm-hmm. uh, system, but from what our friend Eric has stated, is it falls far from fantasy flight standards in his opinion Mm. which to me is a shame because you know i i thought that would be a really cool concept of of actually having a campaign system yeah uh to work with but um i think spending the extra money and a little bit of extra time and building a campaign system up with rebellion again the money spent is well spent because of the amount of time you're getting to spend enjoying your hobby and not letting somebody else dictate how you know something is supposed to happen right right um well speaking of you know fan-made stuff as far as the campaign's concerned uh i have well the the guys on the d6 generation uh, have talked at length about a what they call a cooperative campaign using X-Wing in that the players are all rebel pilots and the TIE fighters are actually, or the enemy ships are all run by a, uh, for lack of a better term, a, pit, a pen and paper AI. Hmm. And it's not necessarily that the, the, the moves are all pre-programmed in. It's just that they have a, a paper algorithm or flow chart, I guess you should say that dictates under certain circumstances what that imperial pilot is going to do. Interesting. Yeah. And it's it's really it's it's a really neat concept and and they've apparently they've gotten quite a bit of play out of uh out of doing it that way. So that might be that might might be worth investigating. Yeah. So, you know, maybe interesting to get a hold of, uh, yeah. see if we can get a hold of said flowchart. Uh, yeah, well, it's more than just a flowchart. I mean, it's an entire right. system. But, yeah, I sure. mean, well, uh, I'll take a look and see if I can find out throw it in the show notes. But uh, there's plenty of Star Wars gaming to be had on the tabletop. And Fantasy Flight has made it, made it awfully easy to have a good game, whether you want to do strategic or various levels of tactical. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could probably argue that the that the capital ship game is operational, but yeah, it's yeah. There, there's always that line between operational and tactical. But uh, but yeah, it's there's there's no end in sight, that's for sure. Uh, with the new movies coming out, I don't pay super close attention to it. I'm, but I am surprised that there is not a Rogue One expansion for Imperial Assault, as far as I can tell yet. There is not one yet, but with the addition of the Hammerhead cruisers mm-hmm. in Armada, 
that we saw used so well in Rogue One, mm-hmm. as well as uh, seeing them in Rebels. Yeah. Um, I can only uh, suspect that we will see something. Yeah. In the near future. Yeah, one would think. One would think. So they're. Yeah, it's. I mean, Rogue One is a natural for, for Imperial Assault. Well, it's natural for all of them, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a natural, especially for Imperial Assault. I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. But because uh, I mean, the everything that happens on Scarif is that's a that's an Imperial Assault campaign. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's there's plenty more to come. Of course, I mean the just just like Disney's done with Marvel, you know, they're doing an expanded not an expanded, but they're doing a cinematic universe for Star Wars now also. So they're going to continue to to flay this particular horse. <laughs> yes, it's and well. uh and what's what's really good about all uh, with what Disney has done is that everything that is story related or story driven whether it be uh the movies the books uh the comic books even uh the new um, star wars battlefront 2 that's coming out in november it's got a storyline it is canon it what happens in that video game is you know affects everything else and that's what I like about it is they've got a, a a single team that everybody goes to and says, okay, here's our pitch. Can we do this without it overtly affecting or contradicting what is already been said or what is going to be done in in the future? And I think they've done a really great job of bringing the the Star Wars universe under thumb but in a good way mm-hmm. yeah so um, so yeah it's 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 an exciting time to be a gamer uh, in Star Wars and it's just an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan I mean yeah we're getting a new movie another new movie this December and then Six months later or less, we're getting a new, uh, another spinoff movie. So it's, you know, when we were growing up, it was wait three years, wait three years, wait 15 years. <laughs> so well, I, 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 I could have waited longer if it meant a better yeah, movie well, came out. <laughs> granted. I, I mean, I took a day off work for this. <laughs> Hey, it's just another one of life's trouble uh, toils, as well, it were. Nah, that's not a big <laughs> deal, but <laughs> not a big. Deal. I, I'm happy. Again, I'm not. I don't want to get down. This is not a movie podcast, so I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Suffice it to say, I was happy with. The Force Awakens because it is something that the quote unquote prequels aren't. It is a Star Wars movie. Yes. The prequels do not behave like Star Wars movies. They don't look like Star Wars movies. They don't sound like Star Wars movies. 
they are movies that have Star Wars elements, but it, they don't connect. Now, right. for all the criticism of Force Awakens being a retcon or reboot or retelling of Star Wars, the original first movie, I can buy that. I'll even accept that. I'll go down that path. But it did what it had to do. Oh, absolutely. It, it made people realize this is a Star Wars movie and it had to touch on all those different elements so people so people would would get it. It had to have that degree of fan service for lack of a better term. Yeah. And I'm and, I'm interested to see where they take these movies from here on out. I think yeah, okay. Sorry. What this is not a movie podcast. This is a gaming podcast. So we'll we'll stop there with that, but yeah. But what it does do is provide new nifty toys for us to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing some more Rogue One stuff uh, for gaming purposes. Um, definitely looking forward to seeing you know what the what the new movies come bring you know, and yeah. uh, and the other prequels you know whichever one it's going to be. I think the next one's going to have Han and Lon- Lando in it for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You find out why Chewie uh, has his life debt to Han. You're going to find out how Han gets. You know, we're going to see that game of Savic, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we're going to find out how Han got his name as being the the best smuggler in the galaxy. Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool. I agree. I as long as <laughs> as long as there's not a poorly rendered CGI job of the hut. <laughs> uh... <laughs> It can it can be CGI, just not CGI from the from the uh, early. I 2000s. I think <laughs> I think they learned their lesson with overuse of CGI, and yeah. I would be highly surprised if if Jabba makes an appearance. I'd be highly surprised if he is purely CGI. Yeah, but again, so. this is I honest honest. I swear this is not a movie <laughs> podcast. But you know when. when the uh, games we're playing are are because of those movies. You got to discuss the movies. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> so with with that in mind, again, I want to thank you for coming on once again. I appreciate appreciate oh, your absolutely. assistance on on this particular episode always. and all the episodes you've been on in the past. It's always and, fun. And as always, if the war gaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. May the force be with you. That is all. The Veteran Wargamer is copyright J. Arnold 2017. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Discussion on the blog at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com. Music courtesy of bensound.com. <laughs>